Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity titled, Maximizing Benefit with the Expanding Options for Gastric Cancer, Patient Selection and Management, is provided by Partners for Advancing Clinical Education, PACE, and is supported by an educational grant from Merck Sharpen Dome, LLC. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. So, yeah, in terms of working up a gastric cancer patient, I think the oncologist taking care of this patient in the example really show how nicely to work up a gastric cancer patient. As always, you want to take a history. You want to get labs. But the upper endoscopy and biopsy are critical. As all of you know, when you're treating a solid tumor patient, you really need to get uh, histological confirmation of the tumor. So that biopsy is very, very important. And the upper endoscopy can visualize the tumor. Then you want to do something like a CT scan of the chest, abdomen, and pelvis just to look to see if there's any evidence of metastatic disease. Because when you're thinking about caring for a gastric cancer patient, the first question I always ask is, is it metastatic, meaning that we're not going to be able to cure this, but we could treat them with palliative intent to try to increase their life? Or is it localized, where we could actually do something like surgery and try to cure the patient? Again, in this fictional patient that we're discussing, this is metastatic disease to the liver. So we're not going to be able to cure this, but we can treat this patient uh, with palliative chemotherapy. So molecular testing, and this is where gastric cancer has changed. The, the things you want to do when you get a gastric cancer patient is you want to do uh, testing to see if the patient's MSI high. Probably the fastest way to find out if a patient's MSI high is to do mismatch repair immunohistochemistry, IHC, because that can come back in a couple of days. In addition, another very rapid IHC test is testing for HER2, and that's critical too. Because if you have a patient who's HER2 amplified, has HER2 amplified gastric cancer, you can give them HER2 directed therapy. In terms of the number of patients with metastatic gastric cancer that have a HER2 amplification, it's only about 10 to 15%, but you really could help those patients by finding it. So please check if the patient's MSI high. Please check if the patient has HER2 amplification. And then the other thing that's very, very important because we're now using immunotherapy in gastric cancer is looking at pdl one expression. Again, that's another immunohistochemical test that can come back rapidly. The other thing I like to do on all of my gastric cancer patients is next-generation uh, sequencing, NGS. Um, the NGS testing does take a little while longer to come back, a few weeks, but with NGS testing, you'll get something like TMB status. You'll also, it's another way to check MSI high. Um, the other things you'll get, though, is you'll see if there's any unusual but actionable uh, molecular alterations like N-tract translocations. Even though those are rare, it's worth looking for. So patients with metastatic gastric cancer, only about 1% have N-tract translocation. But if you find one of those patients, you can do the world of good by treating them with an N-tract inhibitor. So again, recommended molecular biomarker testing. You want to check if a patient has an MSI high tumor. The fastest way to do that is mismatch repair IHC. You want to check HER2 status. The fastest way to do that is HER2 IHC. You want to check PDL1 testing. So again, doing IHC. So these first three, seeing if it's MSI high, HER2, and PDL1, those are all IHC-based tests. And you also want to do next-generation sequencing to look for rare 
but actionable uh, molecular alterations. And this is just emphasizing this point of how important it is to do the IHC tests and the next generation sequencing, just trying to get extra treatment options for your patients that really could expand their lives. And I'm going to turn it over to Kristen. Great. So thank you. Which of the following biomarkers should be assessed in all patients with newly diagnosed advanced gastric cancer to inform initial systemic therapy recommendations? A, BRCA mutation, B, EGFR mutation, C, mismatch repair or MSI high, D, RAS mutation. Please make a selection. Great. The majority of folks chose the right answer in the post-test for the MMR and MSI. And again, the rationale is recommended that patients with newly diagnosed advanced gastric cancer be tested for mismatch repair and MSI, which can inform the use of immune checkpoint inhibitors. The BRCA, the EGFR, and the RAS mutations do not generally inform treatment for advanced gastric cancer outside of a clinical trial. So we're going to flip back over to um, Rick and talk a little bit more about his case. The pathologic analysis of primary tumor specimen revealed tumor located in the gastric body. Histologic characterization of tumor is adenocarcinoma in the intestinal type, uh, Lorin classification. CT scans reveal GC with liver metastases. Patient is not a candidate for surgical uh, resection. The molecular characterization of Rick's tumor is MMR proficient by IHC. HER2 amplification is IHC3+. PDL1 expression level is CPS2. TMB by NGS is 2.1 mutations per megabase. No NTRAC or RET gene fusions or BRAF V600 mutations by NGS. Analyses of genomic markers Micro, uh, microsatellite status, CDH1, APC, uh, SDK11 from NGS, not suggestive of any hereditary predisposition for gastric cancer. So our next pretest question, based on these findings and current recommendations, which initial treatment option would be optimal for Rick? Chemotherapy with KPOX or FP, chemotherapy plus nivolumab, chemotherapy plus trastuzumab deruxtecan, chemotherapy plus trastuzumab, and pembrolizumab. Please make a selection. Okay. And we have a pretty informed audience here. 74% chose that chemotherapy, trastuzumab, and pembrolizumab, which is the correct answer. And moving on, I'll hand the program back to Dr. Cleary. Thank you. And so this slide, this is a very helpful slide. This slide is talking about the treatment paradigm for patients, initial treatment paradigm for patients with advanced or metastatic gastric cancer. As many of you answered correctly, in a patient with HER2 positive gastric cancer, you wanna give 5-FU-based chemotherapy along with oxaliplatin or cisplatin and trastuzumab and pembrolizumab if the CPS is greater than one. And this is a change. Um, we weren't doing this. We were giving it to everybody, regardless of CPS, about six months ago. But this is a new change. So really, the answer is if you have a first-line untreated patient with HER2-amplified gastric cancer, you're going to give a regimen like Fulfox, um, trastuzumab, and pembrolizumab as long as the pdl one CPS is over 1. If the pdl one CPS is negative for this population, I would not give the pembrolizumab. 
Um, for patients who are HER2 negative, and this is most of the patients, we still are using uh, immunotherapy as long as the CPS is five or greater. So if you meet a metastatic gastric cancer patient who has a PDL1 uh, CPS score of five or higher, you're going to treat them with a regimen like Fulfox and nivolumab. In addition, um, you could consider in the MSI high patients giving pembrolizumab and dosartatab um, uh, uh, alone. However, the data here is still emerging, and I think most patients, most oncologists would still give Fulfox uh, and nivolumab to that population. Here's some of the trials that led to this. Um, the Checkmate 649 study combined chemotherapy, and the chemotherapy was either Zelox or Fulfox with nivolumab in patients with HER2-negative gastric cancer. And really, we, we saw a, a big effect in patients with a pd one CPS over 5 compared to patients to, in patients with pd one CPS over 5 who got nivolumab and Fulfox compared to patients who just got Fulfox. There really was about a four-month survival benefit, which was wonderful. Similarly, uh, with pembrolizumab, the Keynote 859 trial showed very, very similar data. Basically, it showed that when you combine pembrolizumab with chemotherapy, patients with a PDL1 CPS over one uh, did better than the patients who just got chemotherapy alone. So, really, what the keynote trial showed and uh, what the um, the checkmate trial showed is that by adding PD1 directed um, immunotherapy to chemotherapy, that you improved outcomes in patients with metastatic gastric cancer. This is looking at some of the HER2 trials. So a trial that was done a long time ago, it was the, the TOGA study. And the TOGA study was just looking to see in patients with HER2 amplified gastric cancer, whether adding a HER2 antibody, Herceptin trastuzumab, to chemotherapy was effective. And so in the TOGA trial, they compared patients who got um, chemotherapy alone versus chemotherapy with trastuzumab and they saw a survival benefit, but the survival benefit was modest. And so that was the best we had for a long time until the keynote trial, the keynote 811 trial came along. And this is the trial where we're really integrating immunotherapy to these HER2 positive patients. So keynote 811 showed that when you have an untreated gastric cancer patient who's HER2 amplified, you're going to add pembrolizumab to the trastuzumab and chemotherapy. And as we said, the recent spin on this data is because of this subgroup analysis below, they noticed if you look down here, that patients with CPS less than one, really they, they didn't get any benefit from getting pembrolizumab. So really what we're doing is we're only combining pembrolizumab with chemotherapy and trastuzumab in patients with a CPS score of one or higher. So again, just talking about the, the treatment paradigms for initial gastric cancer patients with metastatic disease, if it's HER2 negative and the PDL1 CPS is over five, you're going to give 5-FU and oxaliplatin along with nivolumab. If it's HER2 positive, you're going to give Fulfox, trastuzumab, and pembrolizumab if the CPS score is greater than one. And here they're just highlighting this action item that you really, in order to make these proper treatment decisions, you need to get the molecular testing. I'm going to hand it over to Kristen.
Great. Thank you. Uh, what level of PDL1 expression is the chemotherapy plus trastuzumab plus pembrolizumab regimen indicated for in HER2 positive advanced gastric cancer? A, regardless of any specific PDL1 expression, B, combined positive score CPS of less than one, C, CPS greater than or equal to one, or D, CPS greater than or equal to 10. Please choose. Great. 75% with the correct answer. And again, the rationale is based on the Keynote 811 trial. Pembrolizumab, FDA approved in combination with trastuzumab and a 5-FU containing regimen for chemotherapy for first-in-line treatment of patients with locally advanced, unresectable, or metastatic HER2-positive gastric or GEJ adenocarcinoma when tumors express PDL one with a CPS of greater than or equal to one. Let's shift gears back over to Rick. <clears throat> you prescribe Rick chemotherapy plus trastuzumab plus pembrolizumab. He remains on treatment for two months and a partial response is observed. He calls to report fatigue, irritability, thyroid function tests indicate elevated TSH of greater than 10 and low free T4, suggesting primary hypothyroidism. So which of the following approaches would you recommend for Rick? A, continue immune checkpoint inhibitor, administer steroids. B, continue immune checkpoint inhibitor, administer levothyroxine. C, continue immune checkpoint inhibitor, administer steroids and levothyroxine. D, hold immune checkpoint inhibitor, administer steroids and levothyroxine. And if everyone can make a selection on this pretest question. Okay. Oh, we're split between B and D. B is the correct answer. Continue immune checkpoint inhibitor and administer levothyroxine. And I know Dr. Cleary is going to help clarify why B is the correct choice. Yeah, so thank you. So on that last question, you know, these immune-related adverse events to um, PD-1-directed therapy, we, we see them not uncommonly. For most of the immune-related adverse events, such stuff like autoimmune colitis, pneumonitis, hepatitis, those are life-threatening side effects. And when you see side effects of those nature, you really want to hospitalize the patient and get the patient on steroids. Fortunately, what we've learned with experience is that um, hypothyroidism, it's probably the most common immune-related adverse event from PD-1-directed therapy, but we really don't have to give steroids. Um, the idea is that we could manage those patients just by giving levothyroxine. So you are going to see a lot of hypothyroidism caused by PD-1-directed therapy. Fortunately, you can just keep giving the PD-1-directed therapy. You don't have to give steroids, but you do have to give levothyroxine. And, and the pattern you'll see frequently is that patients will first get hyperthyroidism, but then that hyperthyroidism will burn out and eventually the patient will get hypothyroidism and you can just manage that with levothyroxine. If you need to partner with an endocrinologist, that's very reasonable. But again, the main teaching points for PD-1-directed toxicity causing um, hypothyroidism is you don't need to stop the PD-1 inhibitor. You don't need to give steroids, but you do need to give levothyroxine. And talking about the spectrum of immune-related 
adverse events, they can hit anywhere. So just like we're hoping that when we give immunotherapy that we're going to stimulate the immune system to kill off the cancer, just like the immune system would kill off a bacteria, the immune system, when it gets so activated, there can be collateral damage. So it can hit your normal tissue and it, it can hit anywhere. It, it can cause a rash. It can cause autoimmune colitis, horrible diarrhea. It can cause autoimmune hepatitis. And you'll typically see that with very high AST or ALT. It can cause autoimmune pneumonitis. And those patients typically present with shortness of breath or also a persistent cough. It also can cause autoimmune myocarditis. And that's one of the trickier ones. And those patients come in very sick. So um, when we see um, these adverse events, that one of the most common ones we saw, we talked about the thyroid issue. Um, we also often see a, a rash. Now, with, with the rash, many times it's just a faint red rash, and, and that one you could treat right through as well. So if a patient just gets this mild rash that dealt, the patient will typically say, oh, it's a little itchy, but not a big deal. You can treat those with topical steroids. You can treat right through them, though. You don't have to stop the PD-1 inhibitor. Obviously, if it becomes a very severe rash, um, then you have to stop treatment. But I actually have never seen that. I only have really seen the mild rashes where I can treat with just topical uh, treatments. The, the adverse events I worry about the most because these are the, the, the serious ones that are the most common, autoimmune colitis. And these patients with autoimmune colitis, they're having diarrhea at least five times a day, not uncommonly 10 or 15 times a day. So for those patients with this horrible diarrhea from a PD-1 inhibitor, you want to hospitalize them. You want to get them on steroids. You want to consult GI. And most typically, you do not restart the PD-1 inhibitor. Same thing with pneumonitis. So if you get a patient with grade two or three pneumonitis, the way you can diagnose it is with a chest CT scan, but you want to get them in the hospital. You want to get them on high doses of steroids. And it's uncommon that you'll re-challenge them. But if you do re-challenge them, you need to do that in collaboration with a pulmonologist because it, it's very risky to re-challenge the patient. So it, really what, what this slide is trying to get across is when you have a serious immune-related adverse event, that you want to put them in the hospital, something like autoimmune colitis, hepatitis, or pneumonitis, or myocarditis. You want to put them in the hospital. You want to get them on high doses of steroids. Um, so um, prednisone, one mg per kg per day, um, which can be very, very high doses. Um, and you want to also partner with uh, the specialist of that disease. So if you have a patient who has autoimmune pneumonitis, you want to partner with a pulmonologist. If you have a patient with autoimmune hepatitis, you want to uh, partner with um, a hepatologist who can help you. So really hospitalize the patient, steroids, and get help by getting the, the appropriate services involved. Uh, Immune-related endocrinopathies, we talked about thyroid dysfunction. Fortunately here, you can continue the PD-1 inhibitor. You don't need steroids, but you do need to start levothyroxine. It's very reasonable to, to consult an endocrinologist. Adrenal insufficiency. It's uncommon, um, but it does happen. So if, if this happens, you can treat through, but it's more, because this is a very difficult thing, adrenal insufficiency, I would recommend consulting an endocrinologist. Hypophysitis, this doesn't happen with PD-1-directed therapy, but it does happen with uh, when you're using uh, CTLA-4-directed therapies like uh, um, ipilimumab. Here, these patients can be very sick, so you really need to get an endocrinologist involved. 
So really what this slide is trying to get across is when you're giving immune therapy, it's not like chemotherapy when we, we just saw a lot of uh, nausea and vomiting and low cell counts. These side effects can be all over. So you really have to have a high degree of suspicion. You really should be monitoring TSH every uh, six to eight weeks because you don't want it to sneak up on you. It's awful when you forget to check the TSH and then four months later you find out it's 50. You're going to feel very badly. So please try to regularly check the TSH. Um, and then if you do get suspicious that the person is having an immune-related adverse event, please get them into the hospital and please have a low th uh, threshold to start uh, steroids. And this is really just trying to emphasize, be suspicious for these immune-related adverse events. All really excellent points of uh, monitoring for the uh, endocrinopathies. Um so jumping back to Rick and his case, uh, his hypothyroidism does respond to levothyroxine. He's a good response to chemotherapy, trastuzumab and pembrolizumab, completing 14 cycles of treatment. At his recent follow-up visit, imaging revealed disease progression and new metastases. Based on his molecular profile, MMR, MSS, HER2 amplified, PDL1, CPS2, and track fusion negative, TMB low, which of the following second line options would be optimal for Rick? A, docetaxel, B, ramucirumab plus paclitaxel, C, trastuzumab plus ramucirumab plus paclitaxel, D, trastuzumab durexatecan. Please choose. Okay. So our correct answer is D, trastuzumab, durexatecan, 23% chose that, and 52% uh, chose C. So I could kind of see where that uh, came in, but um, we'll get a little bit more clarity as we continue on. So just a little bit more about Rick. So he starts the trastuzumab, durexatecan. Um, this is generally well tolerated. At six months, CTPET shows a continued partial response, but reveals hazy infiltrates in the upper lobes of both lungs. Grade was um, Rick was diagnosed with a grade two shortness of breath and a grade two interstitial lung disease. So I'll hand it back over to Dr. Cleary to talk a little bit more about uh, the treatment option selection and the complications. Thank you, Kristen. So second-line therapy in gastric cancer, um, the mainstay of second-line therapy in gastric cancer is ramucimirab and pacitaxel. Uh, we also occasionally will use full theory. Um, however, with the emergence of HER2-directed therapies, what we're excited about is the one exception to that is patients with HER2-amplified gastric cancer. We could use the antibody drug conjugate, trastuzumab deruxatecan, in patients with HER2-positive uh, gastric cancer. So, and this has been wonderful because it's really um, the response rate for this agent is 40%. And it, it just gives these patients another way of treating the disease. So when I have a patient with HER2-positive gastric cancer who progresses on first-line therapy, first thing I'll do is I, I want to make sure they're still HER2-positive. So oftentimes I'll do something like a cell-free DNA test just to make sure they're still HER2-positive because one of the ways that you can become resistant to HER2-directed therapies, you can lose that HER2-positivity. So first, uh, when a patient progresses on a, a first-line regimen such as Folfox, Pembrolizumab, and Trastuzumab, I first confirm they still progress they still express her too once i've confirmed they still express her too 
then I, I really want to try the trastuzumab deruxotecan because I get more mileage out of the HER2-directed therapy. And then in third line, when they progress on this, I could put them on ramacimrem, pastataxel. So it really just gives them more treatment options. Again, though, just to say for the patients who are not HER2 amplified, because that's basically most of the gastric cancer patients, typically I'm using a regimen like ramacimrem and, and pastataxel. Occasionally, when I feel like they, they, for whatever reason, they didn't tolerate the first-line chemotherapy well, and I feel like they'd benefit from getting more chemotherapy, I will give full fury. But most of the time, uh, I do give ramacimrem pastataxel. Uh, and then in third line, after the ramacimrem pastataxel, then I'll use a regimen like trifluoridine tiprosil, and that, that's also called Lonserp or TAS-102, and that's the regimen I, I use in third line. So second line um, therapy, so other things you could think about um, is if you find a patient, so this is why next-generation sequencing is so important. Occasionally with next-generation sequencing, you'll find an actionable alteration. So if on uh, next-generation sequencing, you were to find something like an N-track translocation, you absolutely want to target this. So if, if you found an N-track translocation, you want to try entrectinib or larotrectinib, two very good uh, N-track inhibitors in the second line. And also, if on uh, next-generation sequencing, you were to find a RET fusion, again, it, it's rare, but it happens, and it's worth looking for you really want to try a, a, a RET inhibitor in this population. To talk about the trials that led to these uh, recommendations, this trial is known as the RAINBOW study, and it combined uh, pasitaxel, taxol, uh, with ramacimrab, and these are for, for patients with non-HER2-amplified gastric cancer. And, and, and this was an advance. Uh, so basically, the patients who got ramacimrab, and ramacimrab is an anti-angiogenic uh, agent, it, it targets VEGF, um, by combining uh, pasitaxel with the anti-angiogenic ramacimrab, you improved median overall survival from 7.4 months to 9.6 months. So it's very worthwhile trying with your patients, and the ramacimrab is well tolerated. The ramacimrab, like all anti-angiogenic agents, can cause hypertension. In rare cases, it can cause bleeding. So if you have a patient who you're worried about bleeding, this isn't a great regimen for, but in general, it's very, very well tolerated. And this is the Destiny Gastric one trial. And this was the trial for HER2 amplified patients that showed that we could use the antibody drug conjugate trastuzumab deruxtecan in patients with HER2 amplified um, at metastatic gastric cancer um, after first line. And, and really what made a big, big impression on me was when I looked at the response rate. The response rate for trastuzumab deruxtecan in this population was 51%, whereas with chemotherapy alone, it only was uh, 14%. So a huge increase in uh, response rate. And also, if you look at overall survival, it increased it by over four months. So this is really a, a home run. And so it's something I highly encourage you to do, that if you have a HER2-amplified patient, treat them in first line with Fulfox, Pembrolizumab, and Trastuzumab, but if they still express HER2 in second line, please use trastuzumab deruxtecan. Um, and, and this is just showing similar data, just showing that this response rate, 42%. So it, it to me, it's a very, very active agent, and it's something you really want to think about giving to your HER2 positive patients. 
this is the problem. So you probably can tell I'm very, very enthusiastic about this drug. But it, just like anything else, it, it has an Achilles heel. And the Achilles heel of this drug is interstitial lung disease. So I really want you all to hear that if you have a patient on trastuzumab, deruxetecan, and they get short of breath, you really need to get them in the hospital. There's been several deaths with this drug. So it really is a significant drawback. So please be aware. It's a great drug. We talked about it's very, very high response rate, improved survival by four months. But it, it, there have been deaths. And the reason there's been deaths is it can cause interstitial lung disease. So if you get a patient with an unusual cough or dyspnea on exertion, usually the dyspnea on exertion is subtle. It's like the patient will say to you, you know, I'm just getting short of breath walking from my living room to the bathroom. If you're hearing that, please get them in the hospital. Please get them a chest CT. And if it is interstitial lung disease, get them on steroids ASAP and partner with a pulmonologist. And this is just talking about the management of interstitial lung disease. As soon as you hear about it, you stop the trastuzumab deruxetecan and you won't rechallenge them. So again, just because there's been deaths, if, you, if this patient has interstitial lung disease, you stop it permanently. So stop the drug, get them in the hospital, get a chest CT. If it's interstitial lung disease, get them on high doses of steroids, typically uh, one mg per kg of prednisone. ASAP and partner with a pulmonologist. So um, this slide is really just, again, driving home in second line. And this is why molecular testing is important. If you have a HER2 amplified patient, you want to get them on trastuzumab deruxetecan because the response rate is so much higher and there's a four-month survival benefit. However, please, please, please be watching for interstitial lung disease. And if you see signs of interstitial lung disease, get them in the hospital, get them on steroids and stop the drug. Again, just really trying to emphasize this point because people have died. And that's why the, uh, we're really just trying to get the word out that it's a great drug, but you just have to worry about interstitial lung disease. I'll hand it off over to Krista. Great. So thank you, Dr. Cleary. Um, let's move on to one of our post-test questions. What is the most appropriate next step with trastuzumab, uh, trastuzumab if grade two interstitial lung disease is suspected, I hope that this kind of hit home with this uh, previous talk. So, um, or this previous segment. So choices are A, continue drug and start empiric antibiotics. B, reduced drug by one dose level and monitor symptoms. C, hold drug, treat with ibuprofen, obtain pulmonary consult. D, permanently discontinue drug, start steroids, obtain pulmonary consult. Please make a selection. Okay. <clears throat> so our correct answer is D, permanently discontinue drug and start steroids. I'm just trying to open up my poll there. The majority of you did answer the correct uh, answer. Uh, you chose the correct choice. And that was per the prescribing information of trastuzumab and patients who develop grade two to four interstitial lung disease while receiving this agent should permanently discontinue treatment and promptly initiate systemic high-dose corticosteroid treatment. And I'm going to hand this back to Dr. Cleary quickly to go over the next uh, PCE uh, action plan. Thank you. So we just wanted to review some of the points we've made in today's talk. First thing is there's an increasing awareness that there are some genetic causes to gastric cancer. 
CDH1 mutations, but also things like DNA repair mutations. So if a patient has a family history of gastric cancer, if they're getting it at a young age, please send them for germline testing. Big, big point for management of advanced gastric cancer patients is you want to get molecular testing. The tests you need is you need IEC tests. Mm-hmm. The IEC tests are going to look for PDL1, HER2, and mismatch repair deficiency. And you also want to get next generation sequencing to, to look for unusual but actionable alterations such as NTRAC and RET fusions. Um, the reason this molecular testing is so important is we change therapy based on the molecular test. So we talked about the exciting advances that have happened in HER2 amplified gastric cancer that in a patient with HER2 amplified gastric cancer in first line, you want to give them a regimen like Fulfox, uh, Trastuzumab, and Pembrolizumab if their PDL1 score is one or greater. And then in second line, if they still express HER2, you want to give them Trastuzumab deruxtecan. Similarly, in patients who aren't HER2 amplified, you still need that PDL1 testing because in first line, if their PDL1 score is five or greater, you want to be giving them a regimen such as Fulfox and nivolumab. Um, we also spoke about the exciting developments of trastuzumab, deruxtecan, the antibody drug conjugate, but we also wanted to get the word out that patients can get fatal interstitial lung disease. So please, please watch out for that. And then finally, since we're using immunotherapy more and more in gastric cancer, just know that if you're giving a patient a drug like nivolumab or pembrolizumab, that the immunotherapies can hit anywhere in terms of side effects. So be suspicious if you get a patient with horrible diarrhea, very high AST or ALT, or shortness of breath. Thank you. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Partners for Advancing Clinical Education, PACE, and is supported by an educational grant from Merck Sharp and Dome, LLC. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com CME. Thank you for listening.